Hello out there, all you mancers and turges. It's time for 33.3 FM, and we're talking about magic. And in fact, we have a magic man right here with us. Uh, an extremely magical man. Uh, please welcome to the studio, uh, one Skelly. Hi, I'm Skelly, Skelly Lich Boy. Uh, I do adept shit. And, uh, yeah, I'm an actual lich. Is that related to the adept shit? Is there a... I'm unfamiliar it's, with any schools that involve story. one to shrug off one's mortal coil, but... I mean, there... I did, I did do the write-up for Necroturgy after uh, witnessing the events, which resulted in me becoming a lich. Okay. I, okay. I, I you dodged, know what the Canadian medical system's like. It, yeah. It's very good. Yeah. It's so good. It's <laughs> Socialized lichdom? The, the, yep. the healthcare is so good that they've just granted everyone immortality? Yeah, yeah, there's a couple places here in Canada you can do that. So... Okay, but good. usually don't like the whole, doesn't the whole phylactery thing usually involve like human sacrifice of like on a fairly large scale at that? Uh, it it depends. It depends on whether you're doing the authentic thaumaturge phylactery or you know you have a buddy who's a necroturge who can do it for you. Okay, so you can just do it with charging and you're fine. What, yeah. what do you think the seal clubbing is all about? Those yeah. aren't humans, Thompson. At least I, ah, I hope but... not. Well, that's a whole thing with just shapeshifters and... Yeah, let's not bring that up, because that's a messy topic. Is this what the <laughs> land acknowledgements are for? It's a long, long story. <laughs> but let's just say so the native mages and some of the not-native mages have had some conflicts, and it has been not a good time. The occult underground in Canada is a little bit messy, especially with... Oh, uh, I don't think there's anywhere where it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. That That's fair. That's fair. But we... So we decided to bring this uh, brain trust into the studio um, to discuss adepthood. Uh, specifically how it works and especially how to go about writing up your own adept schools for the Unknown Armies War Game. Because every person in this room has experience uh, writing and releasing their own adept schools onto the statusphere. And by the statusphere, I do not mean the uh, broader cosmological entity, I mean specifically drive through RPGs statusphere program. Because yeah. if you released an adept school into the actual statusphere, I mean, that's that's a huge cosmological change. Yeah, that's kind of like the, uh... That's like metaphysical crop dusting? Or no, metaphysical cloud seeding. Yeah, Ooh. why do you think Agromancy's taken off so much? They literally crop dusted the Satosphere. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's well, pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> adepts are a very... Iconic and idiosyncratic uh, element of... Uh, the whole... Unknown Army's War Game. And they differ in a lot of very interesting ways uh, from how you tend to see wizards and magic and all that sort of crap in most role-playing games. Um, now, Adeps, even compared when to two other... When people are trying to describe what Unknown Army's is all about, I mean, the obvious Yeah, thing... it's... I, I've talk, tried to talk about uh, this game with you before, and isn't that the game with the porn wizards? Uh, 
Yeah, good old porn. Well, people see. tend to bring up first and foremost. They'll bring up like this difference between avatars and adepts. Um, even yeah. a friend of the show, yeah, Kate Cargill, when she went on um, Boston radio, that's the first thing she went to, and that's how I like first thing I go to, and I'm like, oh well, I don't know if well, the magic. There's two different. Kate talked yes. about Anunnaki's on Boston radio. Yeah, she also talked about it on. I think was it like two megabyte pod? It was the two MB studios. Oh so right, shit! I was not aware of yeah. this. I was on that Twitch stream. I said hi to people. It was great, but yeah, uh, I actually have a bit of an analogy or whatever you call it for how to describe the various types of magic. Oh yeah, the the river. Yes. All right. Imagine that reality is an island. It's just a big hunk of mass, a rock or something, and surrounding the island is the raging sea of clusterfuckery that is the statosphere. Yeah, like the... Bunch of shit. The universe. The universe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, gutter magic is when you use some kind of weird shit to siphon off or redirect some of that river into a certain direction or just siphon it for yourself. You know, getting some weird effects out. It's a small thing. It's not going to last very long. Rituals is when you find a bridge across the river to a different island or to... or you find a device that has been operating for a while. Eventually, the bridge or the device will break down, but for the time being, it is consistent. You know, because rituals have a habit of just ceasing to work. Avatars are the mad lads who are like, you know what? I've seen a couple people surfing the waves. I'm going to make a, a surfboard, and I'm going to surf the waves with Statosphere. I'm going to follow an avatar path. And they just go with the flow. Eventually, they might not even need to return to the island. They might ascend themselves and forever surf the waves. Adepts are the mad bastards who say, fuck all that shit, they plant a rock in the middle of the river, they stand on it, and flip off the universe, whilst getting buffeted by the waves, but that sheer tension between flipping off the waters of the stratosphere and getting blasted by it, and just refusing to break, allows them to force the water out of the way, and bend it to their will. That is how an adept works. Alright, so, like, avatars are people that are just kind of going with the flow along the natural current of the universe, whereas yep. adepts are guys getting super swole by swimming against the current. Exactly. This is, uh, it reminds me of a combination, it's like the story of Moses with the Nile combined with the story of King Nut. It's like just someone coming to the water and being like, fuck you! And the water, like, <laughs> retreating. I mean, obviously everyone knows that fucking what's-his-face split the water with a Beyblade. Let's be real here. Moses, Beyblade yes. was 100% real. Yes, well, the problem, okay, I, I'm gonna, I, I'm afraid I'm gonna get stuck in a, on a tangent, so I'll just mention this briefly, because this analogy of the Xenosphere is a sea, and reality is an island, um, I immediately tie that with like, oh, that's what, that's what never when realities are, they're just other islands, and then, I, and then it, it, it further exactly. it goes to, oh, wait a minute, if we're just an island, what are on the continents? Oh, no. Oh, no. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Some of those islands might develop into continents, and then they collapse, hence the end of a universe. Well, I'm just thinking, like, what if, like, the uh, the cosmos, the magical, re the magic of our cosmos is the equivalent of, like, a small ecosystem um, that's yeah. not very, um, like, like, east, like um, oh, what is it? The wherever the Dodos lived, the island off Madagascar, where, like, if something came from the continent. Yeah, Galapagos. Yeah, we're, we're the, the multiversal equivalent of the Galapagos. 
And hey, maybe the universe tries to kill Neverwent because they're invasive species. That's cool. That's interesting. Sure. It's dark, but hey. So the universe is like, it's just like Australia. And it's Australia's fucking, um, like, ecological control system. Um, mm, yep. That's interesting. So if the, what's the status <laughs> Neverwent's are just the cane toads of the universe? Yup. That's it. What's the equivalent of Johnny Depp and his dogs? His dogs? Well, there was this time when Johnny Depp came to Australia with two dogs that didn't declare and this whole thing where they were going to kill his dogs and he had to run away on his private jet. Um, Anyway. All right. So, yeah, adepts are are a big part of Unknown Army's identity. It's like a game, the sort of very unique spin on magic and wizardry um, that is more dirtbaggy. And places more emphasis on, like, yeah, wizards are fucking weirdos than most games do. And I think a lot of that is rooted in sort of the fundamental laws of magic that the game spells out. Of which there is, of course, three of them. The law of symbolic tension, the law of transaction, and the law of obedience. Now, I can go into what each of these mean, but does someone else want to do it instead? There's three of us. There's three of these. I say we co- I say we each cover one. All right. Uh, I can I can cover symbolic tension. All right. So uh, what does symbolic tension mean, there, Skelly? Uh, according to the book, the short of it is, <clears throat> all magic is based on some sort of paradox, and what that means is, magic is adept magic is inherently a contradiction. Uh, for instance, an entropomancer. How does an entropomancer gain their ability to crack reality open and edit it to their will? They have to surrender all power to the will of, well, fate. And if they survive, they get to adjust fate themselves. Uh, Epiduromancers. How do you strengthen yourself? Simple. You hack your body to pieces and then strengthen what's left. That is inherently paradoxical. A normal person would not cut themselves open to get stronger, but an epiduromancer does. That is symbolic tension. This is kind of what we're getting at with the whole dynamic of swimming against the current, right? Paradox exactly. is at odds with the universe. So to gain power, you will emphasize that contradiction. Yes. Adepts, um, with with whatever is in their purview of interest, whatever they're like focused on, the thing that differs that um, differentiates adepts from normal people is that they do it wrong, whatever it happens to be. They're doing it wrong. Um, they're doing it paradoxically. They're doing it contradictorily. Um, whether, whether that involves guns or drink or drugs or whatever, something about it, the adept is doing it in a way that is self-referential and contradictory, and that's what gives them their, their, their sweet, sweet magic. As an adept, is- I drink to get sober. That's right. And this is also a reason why certain concepts just have a hard time functioning at step school. It's like, if you've been on the UA Discord, you'd know we've had several discussions about coffee magic, and yet we can never figure something out. Because a lot of coffee-based things isn't paradoxical. There's symbolism there. But it's hard to find something that's paradoxical that you could use for coffee. Well, we can get into this a bit more when talking about our own sort of design principles and the challenges yeah. involved with creating an adept school. It's about going to sleep. Yes. You have to drink coffee and then try to go to sleep. It's some kind of weird spinoff of a neuromancy. That's just a neuromancy. <laughs> I was thinking yeah. some sort of spin on bitterness and sweetness. That could be. Because coffee thing. is the first thing I, that comes to mind for me with coffee is bitterness. Probably one of the most iconically bitter foodstuffs out there. 
Yeah, but so yeah. what? Like, what is that weird? Like, like how we? How I'll do you fucking know. I'm spitballing just as much as you assholes are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and this is the main issue with coffee. Uh, you, there's very, very. All right. What's a, what's the second uh, <laughs> law of magic? Uh, Torfson, this one's on you. All right. All right. All right. We'll get back to coffee magic when we talk about the Warcock hypothesis. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> now, um, next one's a simple one. Law of transaction. Magic requires sacrifice so you don't get something if you don't give something which is it's, it's pretty fair enough um this is an idea yeah that's that's just fucking to, newton right that's right it's newton it's also something that goes back to pre-modern forms of magic as well there was always an like, element of sacrifice um but in the past where you might be sacrificing to a deity or a spirit or something like that now you're making a sacrifice to your own fucked up worldview. And that's done through charges. Yes. That's right. Um, um, it's done through charges because that's how we um, sort of grok it in a modernist sort of fashion. But it's, it, it, in a way, it's, you have to, you can't just like cruise through life. You can't just use magic at will. You're not a genie. You have to give something for it. You have to take a, a ritual action or act like uh, uh, observe some kind of behavior you have to do so you have to pay for it you have to pay the pipe up always all right and then the last third law is the law of obedience to cast magic you need to be pretty fucking committed to it uh this is what ties into the unknown army's idea of obsession all adepts are obsessed with their magic in some way it is yes a very large part of how they see the world, of what they center their life around. They were going back to the ocean metaphor, you know, you need to be pretty fucking motivated to be swimming against that current for that long. So, uh, generally the only way of doing that is if you're kind of tweaked or out in some way that makes you want to commit your life to this sort of lifestyle. It's when you realize that as a, as a human swimming around in the ocean, you like the ocean are also mostly water and salt, but you're the only bag well, of water but... and salt in this ocean, which has a will of its own. So, one of the big, I guess, innovations of the third edition of uh, the game is that it has sort of introduced a system for codifying all this because. In the past, uh, various adept schools have been kind of weirdly balanced compared to each other. And, you know, there's something to be said for not all magic is created equal. But uh, the law of transaction is still an important part of magic. So that means that if you're casting powerful magic, generally it should have a proportional cost to do so. And in the past, um, in earlier editions, uh, some magic schools have been better about that than others. We'll get into that a bit more later. But um, this system that third edition uh, introduces called Omega kind of codifies exactly how much these spells that adepts cast, each of their formula spells, or any new ones that any adept or player comes up with should cost. Uh, generally speaking, if you have a 
pretty light paradox and it's pretty easy for you to get charges then casting spells should take more whereas if the paradox is quite strict or excuse me the par the taboo is quite strict or gaining charges is quite difficult then spells should be fairly cheap because the as stated by the law of transaction the proportional magic from those charges goes a bit further because they're harder to get. You know, charges are kind of modernist in the sense that they can kind of be exchanged to anyone. I mean, fuck, we can see with Mac attacks and the special orders uh, that you can just give charges to fucking anybody. And merchants can charge yeah. them, uh, can um, exchange them, and a whole bunch. There's like charges could be thrown around by the right people. If they have the right technique. But it seems like through the law of transaction that certain certain adept schools get more out of charges than others do. Because generally on the basis that it is harder for them to get those charges. Yeah, so something like special orders would really benefit things like epidermancers and tropomancers. But for an astrinaturge, not really. Well, and remember that magic ain't coming from nowhere. Fundamentally, yeah. they're getting someone else's charges... And that person putting the charges in the food uh, has to pay a charge tax themselves to pass it over. Yeah, and that's why also charging rituals are so coveted, especially by yeah. adepts with really, yeah. really dangerous charging. It means they can cheat the system a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Get trying to get. Out. You can't if you're an adept. You can't use a charging ritual. I I, I assume. Yes, you can. can there you? is nothing stopping you from doing it. Yeah, adept. Don't you break taboo? Nope, there is nothing saying that an adept cannot use a charging ritual. I think there is. I think I, I remember that from somewhere. What do you think, Frank? Uh, I don't remember it being said in 3rd edition, so the after the 333 event, the cosmology may have forgotten about that rule. There was that rule. I do remember that rule, but maybe it has changed. I don't know about this. I'm not, I don't know how happy I am about this. Hey, the universe is fucked. Well, yeah, like you, the, the universe gaslights you all the time, man. Just You, you, yeah. you, you kind of got to get over it. What's what's done is done. Things have changed. Uh, it's in some ways unfortunate, but it is what it is. Fucking old mother apocalypse and the fucking human eternal. Uh, we'll get into that eventually. So, Omega allows you to kind of create your own app schools in a more, uh, I want to say, pre-codified way. But I know, Tormson, that you've expressed uh, some misgivings about this in the past, so would you like to go over those a little bit? Um, misgivings about, uh, Omega? Yeah. Or yeah. about the, um... And also the pre-made, uh, adept effects in 3E. You've mentioned this. Uh, my issue is not so much with Omega itself, although the way it's presented... I do like, like, it's, it's presented in a way which is fairly easy to grok, in one sense, but it would have been better if they had been consistent with this, with the whole, with the five books of um, the Slipcase Plus Two, um, and included Omega with, like, the Omega rating of each school. Yeah. Because they could have easily done that. Uh, people do that, um, I don't always, but I know that Ben has done that with um, some of his schools. The, like, things I remember, I think it was Ben. Yeah, someone's done it. Um, adding Omega to schools to put online. Uh, was it Ben? Or was it you? Someone did. I remember seeing people putting the Omega rating on 
on their school and that's a good service and i think if there were more if there were, if there were omega ratings on the adept schools given in books one two four and five then it would be a lot easier to grok uh, because you'd have some yeah. more reference points not just that, like, if you want to come up with more formula spells for pre-existing schools, you want to know the Omega of the school. That is super important, too, Agreed. because... And this is something which I, I would like to get into a bit, because I feel that when people are, like, in games and they want to do for a new formula spell, they're almost a bit apologetic about it. But I'll be like, no, all Adepts, like, you should definitely have your own formula spells when you're playing an Adept, because Adepts, like, the formula spells are supposed to be, like, the most common spells of that school but each adept is individually uh, an idiosyncratic weirdo and they're going to have a couple of spells that other members of their school do not have and omega ratings would make that infinitely easier for people well not infinitely easier but much easier for people to do it. Yeah. i do remember the second edition had like extensive rules on making your own formula spells and i gotta admit i did not like them Why, because wait, 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 one wait, wait, they were second edition what are you talking about yeah, second edition had rules for making. It, it had this extensive system for making a concrete formula spells and not just random magic. You had to spend experience. You had to make a roll. If you oh. failed the roll, you wasted the experience. And additionally, every time you made a new formula spell, random magic got harder for some reason. And I did not like it. So I am kind of glad that third edition just straight up decided not to include those because now I can just say, hey, if you want to make a formula spell and add it just on your character sheet. Go ahead. Yeah, honestly. don't never disincentivize player creativity. Like, yeah, what the fuck th you doing? That was a huge issue. Yeah, I so, think it should be a. It yeah. should be a. Like, it would be cool if there was somewhat of a process to it. Yes, I agree, but it was just too fucking. Like, you had to spend at least five experience checks just to make it have the chance yeah. to roll to see if you made the spell, and if you failed. Well, then you just wasted all that experience. Yeah, like, having some like... sort of set of flavorful mechanics for explaining how creating new formula spells in fiction works is fun. But having all of these punitive costs that don't even guarantee the success of the process is not the way to go about it. Yeah, so... Honestly, if a player, if I were in a campaign and a player's like, hey, I've used this random magic effect a couple times and I like it, can I just write it up and work it out with you for it to be a formula I have? I'd say, fuck yeah, let's let's work this out out of before the next session and let's see how this spell effect will work and we can discuss the cost. Again, never and discourage can... player creativity. That, that, that's what you exactly. want. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you want as a GM. It never makes games worse. I had a player in a campaign who was doing Necroturgy. They never used a formula spell. The only couple times they used, like, Adept Casting, it was on random magic, and they did so much fucking shit with it. They reanimated a cow made of uh, burger patties that were thrown out and uh, old burger wrappings, and uh, it went on a rampage through a restaurant. Cool, and also And I was gross. so happy. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. a, a great little moment. With, um, I do like the use of random magic, and random magic is fun. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking, one way that you can do it in-game that I think that I might adopt is not everyone makes people roll for, like, use of adept skills. Um, like, like if you've got an Like, some people, they run it with that if you're an adept, you can cast a spell regardless of the roll. 
Um, and the way I would have that work is like you can like you roll from random magic and to see if it works or not. But for formula spells, you can just cast it and just spend the charges because you're spending charges anyway. It's like you've already rolled at some point, assumedly, to charge up. Um, not necessarily, but you've already done something to charge up. So you've already paid the cost. So you might as well just use the magic. And if you're going to roll, it shouldn't be like, does your magic go off? It should be, what does your magic do? Does <laughs> it does it do? Yeah. Yeah. Like rolling a blast and you roll a fumble. What happens then? Do you hit the right person? Do you hit yourself? Do you accidentally blow up a car that just so happens to go by? Who knows? Because I've definitely found that um, with when people are casting adept rolls and and failing, if if it's like if you roll if you roll a fa- if you fail your magic skill, then nothing happens is really boring and no no fun. Um, it's like oh. It's 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 um it's impotent is what it is, and um there should it should just like you should definitely fail with your magic, but you should definitely always be able to cast your magic because you paid for it. Yeah, no, I I basically agree. There, there's a few spells that are kind of really baked into the mechanics that there's some sort of random chance involved. I'd say especially with blasts. With blasts, you should probably have to roll. Maybe. Yeah. But. Uh, for most spells, I definitely lean towards just you pay the fucking charge cost and you can do it automatically. Like, imagine if you're like casting epide- like a per- epideromantic um, major blast at like some goon that's coming at you and you fail your roll. And so instead, instead of like fuck appearing on all on their like in their skin in a wound, it just rips up their leather jacket instead. And they're just like, well, that just makes me angrier. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's good, but that's yeah. kind of hard to come up with in the moment is the tricky part. Yeah, I know, but still. No, I agree. Stuff like that's great. I, I'm pretty much with you here. Like, you pay the cost, you should pretty much get it, no questions asked. And as a GM, I, I, I would like, um, I would enjoy, I always enjoy uh, matched and crit fails for magic rolls because I can have a lot of fun with them. Yeah, I mean, yes. my sort of general <laughs> principle, and I think this is one that the game itself advocates many times, is that, don't roll unless failure is interesting, right? Yes. And especially when you've already paid the fucking cost, mm. rolling on top of that just makes failure frustrating most of the time. Now, the nice thing about magic is that you have pretty much carte blanche to come up with interesting failure effects for it, which is nice. Yeah. But... And this is the nice thing that UA does with its charges is that even if you fail the casting rule, you don't use the charges unless you succeed, which is something I really like about UA. Because with things like D&D, you spend a spell slot to use a spell, the enemy has immunity or something, and you feel like you wasted it. UA, you fail to cast, well, you still can try again, and you just keep on trying. Which is something I do like. The other thing I'd be a bit more okay with is if you fail to cast the spell, you hold on to the charges. Yeah, definitely. Because that's... Well, no, you're not going to take someone's charge away when they fail to cast yeah. a spell. That would, yeah. be, that would yeah. be terrible. That's, that's a, what a bad game that would be. That's a major dick move. Yeah. 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 And probably how I'd handle that is, like, the usual ways. Like, okay, is this a tense moment? Are you in the middle of a fight? Okay, then you need to roll to get the spell off. Um, because it might not work exactly how you want it to. But if you're just in, you know, out of combat or whatever in a much more relaxed situation than you can just kind of cast automatically because there's no opportunity cost for failure. Really. It's just like, okay, yeah, there's no fucking tension here. Just let it happen. 
Hmm. So are you saying, you're saying combine those two things? Like if you roll a failure, something does happen and your cast spell does. You do cast your spell, but you keep the charge if, because you didn't get what you what wanted? What I'd probably do, what I'd probably do is on a regular failure, you keep the charge. On a fumble okay. or a matched failure, uh, you spend the charge and some effect. Semi-related, but not exactly what you want. Yeah, yeah, and you lose the charge. That does sound fun. Yeah, yeah. and you, then okay. you still lose the charge. Okay, then that's that's solid. I would say with a failure, something should happen. <laughs> but like, it's not going to be useful. Well, again, it depends on the situation, too. Like, if you're not in combat, don't fucking roll in the first place. Just let them cast it. Yeah. yeah. Or non-combat or some other situation that has moment-to-moment uh, risk and tension. Unless the spell has an effect that requires a, the dice roll, or it's just an intensive effect that might risk something. Yeah. In which case, then you still should roll. And the other thing is you do want to give adepts the chance to roll so they can increase their identity. Yes. Because, I don't know, I, I, I like that, but it's also like, if you're shooting someone and you miss, you should be like, I want my bullet back. <laughs> well, magic works definitely <laughs> from guns, fundamentally. Like, yeah, it's true. It's true. So you're comparing apples and oranges there. Or hell, not even, like, you're comparing fucking, like, celery and oranges, my man. No, I like that as a, as a character guy. It's a, it's a guy that has a limited number of bullets, but he can call them back if he misses. That would be a great uh, full miniaturgy formula spell. You just have fucking Tracer's gun. You just recall all your bullets Well, no, back. yeah. Like, just, it, that should be exactly how it looks. You see the bullet zipped back into the gun. Wait, could you collateral someone with that? Just, like, recall the bullets and they're right in the way of where the bullet missed, and you just deal the firearms damage to them? That would be an interesting blast. Isn't that what Tenet's about? I never saw it. That would be a fun way to, like, fluff a flip-flop effect. Oh, that would be cool. You fail the initial roll, but then you flip-flop, and it's like, okay, fuck, let me get that back. And then the bullet hits them on the way back in. Yep. I mean, like, one of the reasons I'm advocating for giving adepts chances to roll is, again, fundamentally, if they don't have any chance to fail, then they don't have any chance to advance their adept identity, which is kind of important for how their Yeah, that, works. that is true. That is actually really important. Yeah, a failure should always give you that little tick for adepts. Um, yeah. Yeah, alright, fair enough. Basically, 3rd edition has done more to codify adept schools. Um, one of the things that it includes is a whole not so much system kind of like 2nd edition had for creating formula spells, but a set of guidelines for making your own app school. And they're generally pretty good, if a bit flavorless. You know, if you just follow the guidelines that are in the book, you'll end up with a the white meat chicken of adept school. Nothing bad with white meat chicken, I'm a fan. But you need a bit more than that. You need more spice. You need more seasoning. You need some oils and some uh, it's just, it's, some it's sides. Just, it's just, is this chicken breast or chicken... Thigh, for example. Very different chicken fights. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this was my issue sometimes with myself and I think other people. I feel that having this list of like, here are the minor effects and here are the significant effects um, would influence people in a way when they're com- coming up with a school or like coming up with a spell, they would be like, well, I better check the list, see what I haven't got. Oh, I haven't got yeah. an minor perception yet. I better have that. And Which that's what fine. you should not do. <laughs> That's what you should know. I don't think you should do that. I think that's a good place to start, maybe, when you're yeah. coming up with that schools for the first couple times. But if you just lean on that too heavily, and especially if you, you view it as a fucking checklist, then adept schools end up way too regimented. 
if it's your first adept school, I think for your first one, like around 50% of your effects should probably be from the book. The other 50, go nuts with. That's just my advice if you want to try to make an adept school. Start basic, have half your spells just be some basic ones, and the rest, get creative with those. My advice is to ignore that and just go crazy. Aim for the sun. Burn, Icarus, burn! If I'm being cynical, what those spells are is examples to use when you need to pad out the formula spell list. Where it's like, okay, I've come up with four or three really solid formula spells. What do I do for the rest of them? All right, I'll just grab some from the list and be lazy. And, you know, that's an option, but... You know, uh, try to avoid that, but the other thing is, like, if you're doing this for the first time, don't be too self-critical. Just do something that's cool, and worst comes to worst, uh, you're coming up with your really cool adept idea based on fucking, I don't know, whiteboards or whatever. Whiteboards? I'm literally looking around my room, Tormson. <laughs> and you come up with a few good spells for it, you pad it out with some wrote formula spells off the list and then you think on it a bit more and you realize like oh wait no that here's a couple more cool ideas and then you just get rid of the the bland ones and replace them with the cool new ones it's it's a foundation like trading wheels trading wheels that is a very good way of putting it it's also a chad move just to have like three significant formula spells and feel like that i'm done (laughs) all the good here's all the good shit Miter charges are for cowards. Real men do sigs. That's right. All the time. Well, yeah, and I I legitimately think that there's something to be said for magic schools that only have one method of charging. You can only get majors. You only get majors. Nice. Nothing else. It's more common to have have people... I've seen this in a few schools where it's like a semi-McGeekian school where it's just like, they don't have a way to make sigs yet. But I don't think I've seen as many examples, and yeah. there should be, of like a school which only has six. We don't know how to do the minor ones. I have had that situation where I was trying to make a carcinosaturgy, crab magic, where you become a crab. And the main issue I had with that was like, I probably, it would be interesting if I said, they don't have minor charges, they only have six. Because at the moment I only have it as, they only have minors. Like, if you tied that into the theming somehow of like, okay, they're very vain, or they're just like, they're, they think they're total badasses, so they're above minor charges, uh, that could be good. That would be fun. You can cast minors, but as soon as you, as soon as you get your first sick, you can't cast minors anymore. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> you, you molt. You oh, yes! Yes! Oh, no, that's good, that's good. I mean, in a sense, that's kind of how dipsomancy works, right? Or at least it's sort of implied, because, you know, you get your significant vessel. I mean, I guess you and can have your regular hit flask on hand for when you want to get miners, but... But why would you just break up your SIGs? Well, but that's not in, that's not in third edition, so... Oh, you can't break up your th- SIGs anymore? I allow it as a house rule, but it's not... I don't think it's anywhere in the book. Really? I could have sworn it was somewhere in third it, edition. Let me I'm check. I saw it's in there. It must be in there. What... What the hell? Again, I, I use that all the time myself because I think it makes total sense that you can break them up downwards. Yep, you can. Oh, okay. Though if you're willing to let Entropy take a cut, you can turn one sig into ten miners or a major into ten sigs. Okay. It's on the uh, rule of transaction on page 126. Never mind then. I am the rules man. So yeah, it's, it's not as big of a deal then. I do like that as a theme. Like there's only one type of charge you get. It's, I mean, whether you fluff that as sig or minor is just kind of a how powerful and difficult do you want this charging to be. 
So we've kind of already got into some of our design principles a bit implicitly here, but do we want to talk about the edit schools we've made a little bit and how and why we went about making them the way we did? Sure. Uh, should I start with that? Sure. Yeah, go for it, Scott. So for stuff I posted on Statusphere, I've only posted one school, and as I mentioned earlier, it was Necroturgy. And currently for Torbson's project, I'm working on a school called Velociturgy. I'll start with Necroturgy. The whole reason I made Necroturgy was because I was disappointed with the lack of necromancy in Unknown Armies. And I was like, you know what? If the devs won't make it, I fucking will. Cue several months of me trying desperately how to figure out how to make a paradox for necromancy. And I, I eventually figured it out with the help of some people. Uh, and the paradox of necroturgy is rejecting the joys of life in order to ascend to a new state of being in the form of undeath. The taboo of necroturgy is, is that you can't truthfully enjoy the joys of life. Any food you eat must be bland. So, like, any pasta, you can't even salt the water. It just has to be bland pasta. Maybe with some salt for nutritional value, but that's it. Like, after you've already boiled it. Anything you drink has to be, like, water. Meat you eat. You can't have it any fancy stuff. You can't get drunk. You can't do drugs. Anything that would bring you some kind of extreme joy that isn't your adept school, can't do it. Because that's embracing the joys of life. So it's an adept school about being an extremely stereotypical goth. <laughs> yeah, kind of, basically. Literally no fun allowed. Yep, exactly. Again, stereotypical. Most most goths ain't like that. Most goths are the uh, grand old time. Isn't that the straight edge type? Like, they're not, oh, there's a bit of overlap. Yeah. No, straight edge is... Straight edge, you can still... Straight edge, their whole thing is usually like, I can have fun without drugs and alcohol. That's uh, true, yeah. Which is, as we know, has been scientifically proved as impossible. Necrochurches are like, I literally cannot have fun with drugs or alcohol. Well, so yeah, does it, like, get rid of your ability to have fun? Or is it, like, a... Because it's a taboo, right? Yeah, I think I have it written down here somewhere. Uh, What did I exactly write? Uh, The taboo is... You may not partake in the earthly vices and pleasures of living. Things like hard drugs and alcohol can be easy enough, but this taboo also includes cigarettes, sex, and sexual relationships, and fine dining. Anything... Which goes beyond just sustaining you is classified as a taboo break. Anything you eat must be as simple as possible. And you also just, you can't go to theme parks, you can't go to parties, you can't get a massage for the purpose of it feeling good. And if you're going to the dentist, you can only get basic dental care just for the sake of maintaining your teeth. You can't get any fancy stuff. No braces. Oh no, I tabooed by getting braces. I'm just imagining an adept that charges by going to the dentist. <laughs> It just gets way too many unnecessary procedures. Their teeth are fine. They don't need this. That would be a fun adept school. That I can see a school that's kind of like a sort of reverse sort of hypochondria, not hypochondria, yeah, hypochondriac yeah. school. Where it's like, it works by... Um, I know when I lived in um, Taiwan, there was an issue because they have like really good public health over there. Um, and one of the issues in terms of resources was they had a problem of um, older people who were lonely just going to the doctor all the time over, like, no, nothing at all, oh. uh, which is sad. That's so sad. <laughs> it was sad. But I'm thinking from a mage point of view, like, it's the idea of, 
And I think I'm, I'm stealing again from um, Nassim Taleb, um, his book, when I'm talking about this. Like, the more times you go to the doctor, the more the, the chance of them finding something just eventually goes up. Um, eventually they'll find yeah. something. And the idea that you just go keep going to the doctor until they find something that you have to do something about. And that's how you charge. Yeah, that's how you charge. When they find like, oh, you this blood pressure, a little bit too high, I'm going to give you this. So you, you charge up by being medicated will be given like a prescription sure for something yeah circling back to necroturgy the minor and the sick charging doesn't really have much to do with it it's mostly for minor charges you have to do work with dead bodies like working at a butcher shop or working at a morgue anything which allows you to do that and work with them for i think it's three hours at a time gives you a minor every three hours a sig is you make a um you make it basically a fetish out of a piece of a dead body and it has to be a sizable chunk like the set of eyes or a full set of teeth something you could say store in a jar and it would identifiably be a piece of a dead body and i'm pretty sure i specified a human dead body so this is something you could easily get in trouble for for like hey why do you have a bunch of dead body parts in your living room so that's the risky part of getting sigs is one you have to find dead humans and two you have to take hands and feet and parts of them and you can only get one sig per corpse so you're actively trying to hunt for more dead bodies whether you kill them or not from what i remember and the major charge is really the one that ties into the paradox it is you must ritualistically preserve the corpse of someone you care about and you must have a relationship connected to them that is 90 percent or higher after you perform the ritual and get your major that relationship is permanently burned out. Say they were your favorite, you can no longer have a favorite. Well, oh, okay, okay. It's like, yeah, it's, of course it's burned out. They're fucking dead. Yeah, and the basic thing is, once a Necrotur burns out all five of their relationships, at that point they've probably ascended to a new state of undeath, because they probably spent all their majors on making themselves better. If you got fucking five major charges, then you, you don't need fucking relationships anymore, my man. Yeah, and that's the point. You've rejected your humanity. You've cut yourself off from the rest of the living. You are now an undead being of untold power. Congratulations. You're a hollow shell of a person. Hey, a lot of people lose their, their five relationships through the natural attrition of death and disease. At least you get magic out of it. Yeah. They can always get those back. With necroturges, you can never have another relationship of that type. So, eventually, you can't form relationships with people, which can be really bad sometimes. You can remarry, but you can't love your second spouse. Exactly. It's just, you don't feel it. There's something missing. And I will admit, if I were to do remaking of necroturgy, I'd want to make the charging a lot more focused on the paradox. Yeah. Less just working with the dead bodies, and more the personal aspect of it like you're literally severing yourself from the things you care about to find a new state of being uh what else have you learned from the experience of making the school uh well a lot of things like one making better balanced spells sure. a lot of my spells i am not happy with some of my spells should have just been one spell but i instead made them like two or three separate spells just to accomplish the same effect like, one resurrects a dead body, another one allows you to summon a demon, and a third spell allows you to put a demon that you've summoned into a dead body. I should have just combined some of those into other effects, but I I didn't, and I kind of regret it. Also, my blasts were not really balanced. It's a, it's a long, convoluted mess. There's a lot of things I would change, but I learned how to do better balancing, 
which I later used when I was working on Velocitergy, which I'm almost finished for Tormson's Special Orders Project, which is a school about, uh, you're basically constantly trying to make progress towards some kind of goal based around speed. Whether it's, I want to be the fastest man who can run on foot, or I want to build a railgun that breaks the speed of light from whatever it fires. If it involves speed and momentum, and it's a goal, you are constantly trying to achieve it. You're pushing forward more and more. Wasn't there a guy like this and, in Ben's book? Yes. Was that an inspiration on this? Yeah, and in hindsight, I guess it could be like his subconscious inspiration. I completely forgot he existed when I came up with the concept. But yeah, he could easily fit into Velociturgy as a category of just so obsessed with speed, you become the speed. Yeah, for for reference, the guy we're talking about was like a guy obsessed with like being the fastest runner alive, no matter the cost. Like he couldn't go in the Olympics because he's like doped up on all the shit. But yes, he can run real fucking character. fast. I think he had like ninety nine percent net identity. Yeah. I fucking love him. Like honestly, that is one of the best NPCs I've ever seen, because he doesn't even have magic. He's the best part, and he could probably beat an adept based around speed in a foot race. Oh, sure. He could probably keep decent pace with a lot of cars. Yes, and I love that. And the only type he actually lost was to an avatar of the Pilgrim because they used hacks. To actually just skip parts of the race. Which I found perpetually funny. But, yeah, the paradox of Velocitergy is, in your constant need to improve, you can never truly learn from the experiences you've made. It's, okay, I learned how to make a railgun. I need to make a better railgun. And never, should I have mailed the railgun? How is this going to affect the world? I don't care, I just need to make a bigger railgun. You could never take a step back and realize, huh, should I have paused and learned a lesson from this? You're just constantly making progress, Does that no matter the cost. Does that affect how, um, like, gaining experience in the school works? I, hmm, I mean, for the SIG, specifically, it's, uh, you have to do a dangerous maneuver involving speed, which is either... You're getting chased by someone with a weapon, or you provoke someone into chasing you, and they have a weapon, or you're running through traffic. So, you will probably have to make skill checks to get your Well, six. yeah, and so how, how advancement and skills is fluffed in this game is that you are learning from your mistakes. You are failing and learning from that to gain experience. So that kind of implies that every time you fail any sort of identity check, um, you're tabooing. Huh. That would be an interesting thing. Like, that, that's a cool Plus dynamic I... for a adept school. And, like, I could see that being, like, a sort of... The charges having a sort of an easy-come, easy-go dynamic of... You can get them quickly, but you need to spend them now before you taboo. Because it's gonna happen eventually. Yeah. And probably I, soon. I do have something to add to the experience thing, but... The taboo... I like the one I have for Velocity for Taboo, which is... Being forced to waste your time. You have to be doing something that's actually, you know improving something or useful if you just doom scroll on your phone you immediately taboo so you have to keep yourself busy and constantly do something or you're fucked and speaking of experience i did actually make a spell recently due to playtesting in tormson's campaign which it was due to my frustration of making a character with 20 percent in velociturgy and not being able to cast spells so i said you know what i'm gonna make a spell <laughs> that doesn't give me experience but allows me to shift identity points into other identities huh. once per session so i've been using it to slowly drain one of my other identities that i barely used and just 
focused it into Velociturgy, and it's been working. Like, that's a cool manifestation of the school, because it's, like, this hyper-focus tendency. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, what you want to do with the school, I guess, is get to the point where you either have a skill that you're always succeeding in, or you're just getting rid of the dead weight. Exactly, and that is exactly what's happening to the character I'm playing. They have an identity which I've never once used, and now it's just being used as points fodder. And it's... It is just peak Velocitourge to, this thing is holding me back, I'm gonna use it to actually invest in something that I'm gonna use more. And, yeah, it is very fun, and I'm very proud of Velocitourge. It's a school that I came up with and was like, you know what, I like this concept, I'm gonna work on it until it works. It's got some cool stuff, and it's a lot more balanced. Tom, it's been a bit since we've heard from you. You got anything to add? I guess, uh, well, I've done a few. Oh, I mean on Skelly's stuff. Um, on Skelly's stuff, well, I had something to say, but it was more to Skelly's. It's just like, wait, what's your sync charging thing again? I think in the, in, I need to update that. I'm, I'm not sure which one <laughs> of the I put in the, in the document. Um, yeah, I've, I thought I'm it was breaking records. changes to it. God damn it, Skelly, hurry up and finish it. It's almost done this book. Okay, okay, I will, I swear. The issue is I've got some schools that I've developed for my project, some of which are not developed, fully developed yet, some of which I want to keep under my belt, some of which are, 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 too, are too raw for radio, but I would like to go back to some of the schools that I put up on Statosphere uh, a few years ago, which were the first one that I'm going to talk about is Appropriomancy, or Teacher Jar, which was the school of uh, outrageous shame. And for me, I'm not going to talk too much about the spells themselves so much as the taboo and the charging structure, because looking over the spells, I was... This is one of the reasons that I am now skeptical of being too reliant on the um, on the list of example types of spells, because I can look at... Like, looking at some of these spells I've got, I'm like, ah, I can see what I did here. I was just doing this. Um, but other spells, no, not so much. What this was all about this particular school of magic i was like this is interesting because it was like a, a, a sort of like it's like a, a school of thought in social science which i don't actually believe and i don't believe i didn't believe then but i thought it was useful to like um a useful conceptual framework which is the idea that there's sure. different societies in the world where the main like social control is done in different ways whether it's shame or guilt or honor um, are the three main ones like the way in which societies like do you feel do do you is your action controlled by the shame you feel from society around you or is your is your are your actions controlled by the guilt that you feel for having done something wrong or is society controlled by like a sense of honor that must be like redressed and in reality all societies have all three of these aspects they're just general human aspects some have more than others in some ways and some have some are just exaggerated more than others. But I was looking into the idea of someone losing face in the traditional Chinese sense of the word, but deliberately in order to charge up. So embarrassing yourself in a formal setting, and every time you got a hardened notch in self, that would do two things. Um, one, it would give you a sig, and two, it would increase the embarrassment that you'd have to, you'd have to subject yourself to in order to get minors, because... To get a minor, you had to do something of sufficient embarrassment that would be equal to the number of hardened notches that you already had. Actually, this was too complicated, wasn't it? 
Well, this is nice because you just explained the charting structure for my school, so I don't gotta. Well, this is this. This is it. In a way, quite similar because, but in a different with a different focus. Um, I even gave examples self checks, like for example, a rank one self check for the purposes of face would be interrupting a peer or being late on a flimsy excuse, while all the way up to rank ten would be in a single act destroy the reputation of your company or group and yourself as well as cause massive financial losses. So that's just like the scale of horror, uh, the scale of um, self checks. And looking back on it. I, I, it's a pretty good uh, charging structure. The taboo was that you must obey all official laws and rules because you charge up off um, violations of etiquette, not violations of written rules. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And it's it's pretty yeah, that makes sense. Pretty, it's pretty stringent. I mean, obeying all laws all the time. Not just because you'll get in trouble otherwise, but also because you'll lose your magic. I mean, I feel that's like a pretty. I don't think I included my fucking Omega here. I Honestly, these but sound think... more like isolation shocks than self shocks. Hey, we can finally use the isolation gauge, the least used gauge in this true. entire it's... game. Maybe, maybe I should go back and change this. Uh, do you is want it, to it... go back and change it though? Not particularly. Yeah, it exactly. Maybe... That's fine. But you're right. It could, it could, it could easily be isolation instead. And actually, that makes a lot more sense now you said it. Um, God damn it. <laughs> Well, hey, it's a good thing you're now in a community of uh, people giving you feedback on your work. No, it's self in a way, because it's not just about socially isolated. It's about... That's I can see both. I can see both. Yeah. I do think it's fundamentally more rooted in alienating yourself from others rather than disappointing yourself. But it's all about the shame. You have to feel the shame. And you, you have to know that you... you, you so you, like, that's yeah. important, that you feel the shame personally. It's not just yes. that yes. you alienate others. That's right. Yeah, you, right. you have to... Yeah, it's, it's not just about alienating people, because then you can just go around pissing people off. It's not about that. It's about um, fucking up. Well, I think, I think to get really strong isolation shocks, you, it needs to be with people that you actually respect and value your relationship with. Mm. Yeah, but the the key thing I is like agree. I can I think there's room for both in this school. I think there's room for self uh, checks and isolation checks. That would give you two avenues of charging, yeah. which would be very useful. Yeah. That actually would help. Like, that would actually improve this a bit. Like, mm, mm, mm. maybe like your minor charges are stuck to like isolation, but for the mm, self check, mm. that's your sigs. That's interesting. That's a good. That's a good. Because for isolation, it's the more hard you become to isolation, it's like I don't care if people shun me. But self checks are the real hard shit that'll affect you as a person. It depends and on how you you'd want sense. to have charging work for the school. Because how it is now, I think, is pretty cool. Where um, the more significant charges you get, the harder it is to get minor charges. And if you were to have them tied to different gauges then that would kind of remove that. I do kind of like the idea that miners are, they're linked to one meter and sigs are at other, even though it, like it's bad mechanically in a way because they're both equal, but it's interesting because it just suggests uh, like a hierarchy of like what's important to the adept. Yeah, you could use minor and significant charges as just parallel charging structures in a way. Because mm. mm. I being isolated is bad, um, and, and like making a fool of yourself and getting experiencing social ostracization is bad, but worse is disappointing yourself. So how does this, how, what is the um, parallel between this and another different sort of 
uh, self a basic school. <laughs> so it's not a basement. It's uh, more. I mean, others would definitely call it a basement, but it's more. Um, not in the self, but yes. Um, the one uh, adept school I've written and the only one I have up on um, drive through is called Praveturd. And I can talk about this pretty extensively because I wrote it pretty recently and I still have a pretty strong memory of kind of my thought process behind a lot of it. So the initial inspiration for it was kind of looking at pornomancy and realizing that, all right, this is heavily coached in sort of the perception and dynamics of uh, pornography in the 90s. And porn is very different now. It's not even necessarily linked to, you know, filmed sex acts anymore. So I was like, okay, that could be a cool setup for a magic school. One more based in the dynamics of internet pornography as opposed to all the stuff that pornomancy and the sect of the naked goddess are all wrapped up in. And at the time, I was originally thinking maybe I should just update pornomancy, but then I got some other ideas. Um, the big thing was... Um, when I was, like, younger, back in the forum days of the internet, I had a friend, like, he got known as, like, hey, as a challenge to the self, I will jerk off to whatever material you challenge me to jerk off to. This was a guy I knew. The internet was a wild time. <laughs> and I never participated in this myself, mind you, but, you know... A bunch of people in our friend group would be like, hey, try this. And he'd be like, oh, fuck, all right, fine. And then he'd come back, like, later that day and be like, I did it. And feel very disappointed with himself. So I was like, okay, that that's kind of cool. Is like a... Did he feel disappointed himself? Or did he feel proud? Or did he feel a mixture? <laughs> or was he talking shit and he didn't even look at it? We don't know. Yeah, he may have lied. Who knows? I, I felt like that was really representative of internet pornography in a way. of Like, okay, there's just some absolutely vile shit that is very easy to find now. Could use the, You could use that as a foundation for a good charging structure. Because there's a really good paradox there. The idea of masturbating, not as an act of self-pleasure, but as an act of self-denial and willpower. Because and, that is always one of the hardest parts about making a good adept school. It's coming up with a good paradox. And honestly, I think yeah. a lot of the adept schools in the books don't even really succeed on that front. Uh, they come up with a cool domain for an adept school, like cars or guns or farming, but then kind of fail to really pair a solid paradox with that. So once I had that paradox, I was like, okay... Cool, I have the foundation for a magic school. Now, how do I theme this far as spells? Because that is the second tricky part of coming up with an ad school for me. It's coming up with all of the formula spells. And all the self-denial stuff was like, okay, this kind of parallels with sort of Buddhism um, and meditation of monks. And then I was like, okay, supposedly Buddhist monks have to use a meditation and thorough discipline are able to attain certain special power, like flight or passing through walls. And I was like, okay, that, that's a very good foundation for stuff I could take to for formula spells. I could just look to see what all this shit that Buddhist monks supposedly get. And 
fluff that in some way that is vaguely related to jerking it. So that was like one end, and the other one is like, okay, one of the best shortcuts to coming up with a formula spell is find some cliche or pithy phrase associated with that school's domain and just be like, I'm going to have this as one of the formula spell names and then just kind of work backwards. And luckily with yeah. jerking off, you're spoiled for choice there. There are so many euphemisms for masturbation that <laughs> I was able to make every formula spell name for that school some sort of euphemism for masturbation. It is quite impressive. And it worked out very well. And uh, one of the big sort of uh, light bulb moments for me with that is like, oh, I'm not just limited to male masturbation, which is how I got spells like Ring the Devil's Doorbell, which ties in with Buddhism because one of the big things that uh, Buddhist monks supposedly get after uh, years of training is the ability to exercise demons. So, like, okay, yeah, you can touch and therefore punch and harm demons with the hand you use to jerk off. Perfect. And all that was left there was stuff like charges and the taboo. Now, the patriarchy has two taboos. One is you cannot masturbate for pleasure, only for the purpose of this. Now, I don't really think of that as much of a taboo, because fundamentally, you aren't really concerned with that very much when you're playing a role-playing game. The, you are not thinking that much most of the time. What is my character getting off to? It's not really something you think about all that much, understandably. Um, so I added a second taboo, which was that you cannot seek out therapy. And I'll explain how this ties into the charging structure in a bit, but I think a very crucial component of any good adept taboo is that it significantly affects the way that you play your character and think about interfacing with the pretend world. It, it can't just be something like that affects, you know, the average person. It needs to affect how you actually fucking play the game. I actually, that's interesting because I had a similar second half of my taboo for Teacher Jar, which was that you couldn't receive therapeutic treatment um, <laughs> from the same individual more than once. And I don't know, maybe that's a bit like conceptually out of what I was going for, but I just enjoyed the idea of someone bouncing from therapist to therapist and just not getting better. That's good. I mean, like, in a lot of ways, it sounds like Jinja is... I totally butchered that pronunciation. Um, That's fine. Is a mechanically very similar to Pravaturgy, but a bit less... Um, it's a bit more forgiving, I guess. And honestly, I hadn't read that yep. school when I was coming up with Pravaturgy. So, um, mm. uh, I came up with Pravaturgy in a uh, fit of stimulant-induced mania over the course of a weekend well i didn't come up with it but that's when i wrote all of it i do wonder if it's like to, to an extent it's due to like coming up with charge like charge ways to charge kind of thinking of different ways to charge and staring at the character sheets saying what I mean, can yeah. i fuck with no yeah. absolutely <laughs> absolutely and that, that's a very good basis because like for lack of anything else looking at the mechanical foundations of the game is a very good mm. thing to draw from when coming up with add up school mechanics how charges work for this is, again, very similar to Tormson School. Minor charges, you have to masturbate to something that once disgusted you. And that's pretty easy. That's pretty abstracted. Now, significant charges is when this gets more difficult in that to get a significant charge, you need to masturbate to something that disgusts you enough 
disagrees with your passions enough that it provokes a self-check. And how you get a major charge is you completely fill out your self-meter. You become totally hardened. And that, that, that was intentional. That, that was intentional because there's sort of this build-up effect to climax built into the school itself that I thought was, one, funny, but two, very thematically appropriate. Um, but it also means that getting significant charges is harder and harder. Do powerful privateurges insult less powerful privateurges by calling them soft notches? <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think privateurges have uh, an understanding of the character sheet, but I would not be surprised if the insult involves the word soft in some manner. This is something I did want to bring up, though, Frank, because yeah. this is a gripe that I think I've mentioned that I have with privateurge personally, is that due to how the taboo structure works. You can get a maximum of, I think it's like seven or eight SIGs, yeah. and I think some of your SIG spells are a bit too expensive. And I could probably edit that. That That is one of the things with as far as Omega goes, an adjustment, having that yeah. permanent limitation on it is pretty significant. It's pretty fucking significant, so... Yeah, and it, specifically because for SIGs, yeah. if you fail the check, you don't gain the charge. You only get it if you gain a hardened charge. Yes, hardened though the thing to keep in mind there is that... It's not like you're losing the opportunity cost there. It just yeah. it means you get a failed uh, notch in self instead. So one of the fun things there with the taboo is that it means if you fail too much, you're going to need to taboo to go to a therapist. And that was intentional. So if you're yeah. a paraturge, it's probably good to have some sort of identity that resists shock itself. And that pretty much goes over all the sort of big things for my design process. Uh, I'm honestly pretty proud of the school in a fucked up way because I think it does exemplify a lot of the things that one should do when coming to the app school. You should have a taboo that significantly affects the way you play the character and provides concrete limitations. You should have some sort of actually difficult charging structure and that should affect the uh, Omega and honestly, it probably didn't affect the Omega as much as it should. I should make some of those SIG charges, uh, SIG costs, lower. Because, fundamentally, you can only get eight SIG charges out. Because once you become totally hardened... Lose not Yeah, like that's one of the things in the school. You get burned out. You lose access to privateurgy. Now, technically, technically, there are ways to get further SIG charges. There are ways to get less hardened. And it involves going to therapy. So, one of the things with privateurgy is... It, if you want to sort of, for lack of a better term, edge yourself a bit, you need to get someone else's help to do it. Or, or, or you spend a, you spend a good couple of years, like you know, working on yourself, becoming like not a fucked up person, like doing the nofap for a long time, and then you fall off the wagon to get your magic back. Yay! Well, I, I, like you don't even need to do nofap. You just need to start enjoying masturbating again. Oh, that's true. Okay, fair enough. And, and the other thing for the major you mentioned is you lose your passions and you can't get them yes. back by going to therapy. That's yes, another it is identical the to uh, the burnout effects from when you get 25 or greater hard enough. That was intentional. So and now it's permanent. that is one of the things that if you want to stay with privateurgy, you kind of need to uh, taboo every once in a while. It's built into the school. And 
Get, getting a major, like that—that that is one of the things here. Get, um, getting a major as a privateurge is honestly pretty easy. The only thing stopping you is yourself most of the time, and if you fail too many self uh, checks, I guess. Here's my question about the major: Do you have to? Does the self check for your major have to be from jerking off, or can you just kill someone and get the final self dodge? And I should maybe make that more explicit. Um, but yes, it's yeah, specifically that is a bit open ended. That's the way. But what was intended was. You jerk off to one last foul thing that provokes a rank 10 self-check. And here's another question. What happens if your self-notches get filled up with non-masturbatory things and you just cuck yourself out of your major? Uh-huh. Well. Do you go to therapy? Yeah. Basically. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the big, the big thing that I was going for with the design of the school was have a interesting charging structure. Have a taboo that concretely affects the way you play your character. And have an actually symbolically resonant parrot. And I think those are kind of the three things that a lot of adept schools don't necessarily hit the mark. Even official ones. Yeah. Yeah. Far as other design decisions, um, I specifically decided not to include a list of example self-checks. Because I figured that would be decision. best left to the imagination of the players in GM. Yeah, if you're using Pravaturgy in your campaign... You know what you're getting yourself into, so you're going to have to have some creativity. I even include a little sidebar being like, hey, know what you're getting into with this. Um, for something as uh, kind of vulgar as Pavaturgy is, I did try to be as tasteful as possible within those bounds. I guess except for the spell school names. That was just me having fun. It's definitely something where... It's depending on the power level of the group playing, you could adjust like what the school is all about yeah because you're like oh my god you're watching a video where some guy stepsister is stuck in a washing machine that's fucked up dude that's at least a rag six well another group would be like no 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 no. that's that's one yeah and that's why the self-check is subjective because some people would be like yeah that's fine and others are just like now i need at least to watch someone lose a limb before this is a high self-check well yeah like if your rage passion is familial abuse then yeah there you go yeah well that's the thing with that sort of um for, that, if, for the example of that sort of pornography, it, it depends on, like, people that have step-siblings and, and don't like the idea are going to be way more disturbed than someone for whom it's just, like, a sort of abstract concept. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it is very idiosyncratic in a way that Jinja isn't necessarily, because Jinja is coached in a broader <laughs> cultural cultural expectations. Yes. Um, that... I don't say they aren't universal, but they apply to more people. Though, with the self-check thing, that does make it still a bit idiosyncratic. Jinja. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to continue pronouncing this incorrectly. Well, this is exactly what I wanted, because part of the reason I, na- I did the names for uh, both Chichija and Susinja coming from Chinese, as opposed to... Um, the sort of classical, like, fake Greco-Roman, uh, Greco, Greco-Latin yeah. ones is because the Greco-Latin uh, naming structure, they're often very hard to pronounce as well. But my thought was, like, it's got to be out there in the big wide world of the occult underground. There's going to be, like, wizards in, in India who are giving, like, their magic schools names in Sanskrit and Old Pali and people in, yeah. in um, using classical Arabic in the Middle East and of course there's going to be names derived from like classical Chinese um, that are just 
hard to pronounce. And I was like, that that adds realism to it. Surely. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And also how in the other Adept School that you published on Statosphere, how it kind of gives a different culture's spin on uh, dipsomancy stuff. Alcohol magic. Yes, so which um, I liked the name. I, I called it Sulsul because Sul could mean in like um, in Sino-Korean, it can it can mean both alcohol and like um, art or technique. Um, so putting it together, it just makes makes sense. I think actually the, the it was actually because um, Korean is made from some words which are derived from old Chinese and some words which are indigenous. And I think Sul the first one is that is that just. Is that indigenous? I don't even know. Forget about this. We're going to do linguistics, but... Do I, not ask me, my man. I will <laughs> oh, not know. I was asking myself. this question. I was asking myself, but anyway, I had fun uh, with the naming conventions there. Everyone likes Mansi. Everyone enjoys Mansi, but now Turgy is becoming more popular when it wasn't before. Like, it was more of a joke when they, like... Um, I remember it being a joke when people talked about... in the In book two... They said that they called Urbanomancers called themselves Urbanomancers, even though it was bad Greco-Latin, because the accurate term polysurgist sounded stupid. But polysurgist sounds pretty cool to me. I think adepts have a slightly uh, tweaked idea of what does and does not sound cool. That's fair. I mean, for in the case of Pravaturgy, I was like, all right, of the options presented, presented to me here, I should probably go with the one that has Turge in it. That's true. That's true. But a lot of people are going for the Turge route now. Uh, Skelly, you also went with Turch. Yeah. Yes, because I was like, I don't want to call this necromancy. Fuck that's it, true. necroturgy, that's that's, postmodern yeah, that's necromancy. That's very fair. I mean, there's other prefixes that mean death, so that that also that would work. Uh, necroturgy works. It, I, I like that as a name because it kind of... I mean, it, it gives you a very immediate idea of what it is. This is necromancy with an unknown army. Yeah, yeah. Are there any more suffixes we can use? Necro-urgy. Necro-urgy. Eh. It, it just doesn't roll as well as Turgy. Try to find as much bastardized Latin and Greek as possible. There's probably plenty of names for, like, one who cast, or, like, a name for uh, some sort of priest. Let's move on to... What are we doing next? Oh, I wanted to complain. Yes, same here. Okay, let's, let's bitch. Let's bitch. Yeah, as I was bringing up earlier, there are some times when... Of the principles I brought up, and you know, they aren't principles that are like explicitly spelled out in the books anywhere, but the best practices of cool charging structure, taboo that affects how you play, and actually relevant paradox are stuff that uh, some of the spell schools in the books fall kind of short on. And then other times they're just fall short on more basic things like having the ease of getting charges proportional to the cost of spells. So, I know each of us have uh, some schools that we want to complain about. Yes. But uh, who wants to start? Uh, may I start? Sure. <laughs> oh, and we're going to be throwing out some ideas of how to fix these, by the way. Yes. So, to those who know me and have heard my insane ramblings occasionally, you know there's one school that really grinds my fucking gears. It's called Cleomancy. Oh, boy. Oh dear. So let me explain the issue with Cleomancy. We don't, have a, we don't even have rules for this. Weird for third because idea. like it's even acknowledged in setting as a really fucking powerful adept school. Yep. 
literally, it is the deus ex machina of a death schools. It's so fucking mechanically broken, you can literally say, I'm a Cleomancer, fuck yourself, and win. Let me explain something. I did the fucking math. The memory alteration significant spell is four fucking sigs. A Cleomancer can hold 30 sigs. That means, due to the rules in which if you fail a spell, nothing happens, and you don't spend the, the charges, they can drop seven fucking memory alterations on you, and just completely erase your exist- like, who you are as a person. Like, a fate worse than death if they wanted to. And then they just go back to How the- How easy is it for them to get those 36 though, the question. Uh, if you're a sleeper, incredibly easy, because they have access to so many fucking charging sites. All you need to do is go to a charge site, wait for a second, get those charges, or hell, if there's several sites altogether, you visit each site, and since you got all of them at the same time, you got them all the same day, hypothetically, go to a different place, and you'll drop them on one sorry bastard, and just obliterate them. Like... In-universe, the head of the Sleeper 2nd Edition literally has a bodyguard who she fucking brain-fucked into being her bodyguard to the point where all of his passions and obsession are based around her. She literally rewrote his mind. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. I think it just needs to be hard to fucking pull off. It's not. It is stupid fucking easy. And the issue is, there's no way to balance it. If you're a player, your Game Master's gonna have to throw everything at you just to make sure you don't scale too quickly. And if you're a Game Master you want to use Cleomancy, it's like, Oh, this school's way too fucking powerful, but the Sleepers have a fuck ton of Cleomancers. How the hell do I make this a fair fight? But it's not a fair fight. There is no fairness with this school. If you, if you cast a Sig Blast on Never me, was. fine, that's fair Never game, it's a Sig Blast. It scales with damage and rolls. But Cleomancy, it'll just keep spamming it at me while I'm unaware that you're around the corner peeping on me, just using eyeball vision in order to get I mean, that's, that's, sight. Every, that's every kind of curse, though. Every kind of curse can do some bullshit to you with nothing but line of sight. The, the big thing is just the ease of getting those significant charges that fucks me up. And the issue with Cleomancy is it doesn't attack a stat line. With Blast, I mean, it attacks a stat line. Cleomancy attacks your backstory, and there's no way to defend it. Literally, it erases your character as a person. Admittedly, I'm a bit biased towards that sort of stuff, because one of my favorite GM tricks is just gaslighting my players. <laughs> yeah. It never does not work. It's great. It, it also it doesn't help that Tormson spoiled my opinion of Cleomancer for that one fucking playtest, where the big bad was a Cleomancer. And fucking blackmailed me. But you... It was my first time experiencing a Cleomancer when I already had a negative opinion of one, and he's like, you know what, fuck it. The main villains of Cleomancer are they're blackmailing you, and they're gonna threaten to erase the memories of your loved one. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Look, you did look, not give me a good opinion. Was it not memorable? I, I, yes, I do not still thinking them. and talking I'm about saying, it. I'm it just was... saying, you did not help my opinion of them. Like... And the other thing is, most of the ones in the book are all a bunch of unrelenting assholes with no redeeming qualities. The only good one is Monica Barbary. Even the ones in 3rd edition. Like, in in the Allmart fucking splat book, where you get to do the Allmart campaign, one of, like, the beginning encounters is against a former Cleomancer who got her adept school burned out somehow. And her way of doing that is, okay, I'm gonna sacrifice a cat. And then she realizes, oh wait, I can just kill a person. To get my Cleomancy back. This is a flawless plan. As one does. 
As one does. I mean, hey, history is full Love. of full of arbitrary like, deaths. There's, there's so many. Balkan. Like all the other dip schools, at least have some characters that have some redeeming qualities. Most Cleomans are just unre unrepentant dicks who will just ruin people for existing. So, it's just it's one thing that they have an ease of access to charges because it's a once per day you visit a historical site to get the sig. The rest of the time, it's a mi it's minor charges. All right, fair enough. But the taboo is, like I mentioned. They don't have a fucking taboo. It's just there's there's charges have a shelf life of thirty days, aka a month, basically. Yeah, and that's fucking nothing. That exactly. is fucking nothing. And the spells should be super expensive, but they're not as expensive as they should be for a taboo that fucking easy. It's not even a taboo. It barely even affects the way you play the game. Like exactly. I, of the unknown armies games I've played and run, I, I think like one of them has lasted longer than a month in game. Well, the good thing is about Cleomancy is there's no official 3E adaptation yeah, of it. But the issue is, they keep bringing it up in 3rd edition, and it's then it's like... Because it's a classic, it works for a reason, it, it, it's fucked up, and everyone hates them. Um, they in, have a good paradox. Well. Say what you will about Cleomancy, they actually have a solidly thematic paradox. I, I, will, I will concede that, I do like the paradox of history is a lie, so I can manipulate it. I do like that paradox. What would be the sort of taboo that would make you feel that Cleomancy is more balanced, um, acceptably balanced? The issue is, in order to do that, you'd have to probably restructure the charging system, which would take a while. I don't think so. The, an idea that uh, I've seen people uh, throw around on um, our Discord, and I think this may have been Melon, but it may have been someone else, uh, is the idea of having Cleomancy's taboo be... The taboo being when someone else charges off of one of your sites. Yep. When someone else charges off of a Cleomantic site you have, you taboo. So it really emphasizes this sort of Red Queen's race aspect of it in a way that is could be very disruptive to play, but I think really makes sense thematically. And then I think I think it was Mel because he mentioned that it just becomes a bum fight between the Geomancers, the Cleomancers, and the Urbanomancers of them constantly pillaging each other's I think places. it would only be a I, I like fight that. between Cleomancers. Because, you know, if history is constructed, that means winners write the history books, right? But we know in the canon that they hate each other, so it makes it would be a good explanation. As why Cleomancers hate each other, or why Urbomancer, Urbanomancers and Cleomancers hate each other? And Geomancers. And Geomancers. They all hate each other. That's yeah. in canon, that they don't like each other. Yeah. And oh, that's right, yeah. You're having them, like, it's not just, like, taking an opportunity away, but, like, the idea that, like, you'll lose all your charges if someone goes and charges your site, it, it limits the number of sites that you can, like, conceivably have without, yeah. like, running a risk. Um, and it also means that you have to protect it, which in canon they are said to do. Yep. It makes more sense that way, that they'd be, like, tied to somewhere, and they'd be weakened because they can't get too far away from the Lincoln Memorial or else someone else is going to come and, like, yoink it. So it, it's a good limitation on Cleos. Don't Cleomancers also have a spell that allows them to find other Cleomancers? Probably. Yes, maybe. Uh, I think that's the Geomancers. Okay. They can, Geomancers can see the footprints of Urbanomancers and Cleomancers and stuff Okay, like well, that. Cleomancers, I could also see them, if they were to be updated to 3rd edition, getting a spell that allows them to find other Cleomancers. Not necessarily other Cleomantic sites, but just Cleomancers themselves, like some sort of sixth sense that kind of tunes them into the locations of uh, other people in their school. So that means there's, like, this cool risk-of-war dynamic of, like, sure, you can try to protect your site, 
But if you're just, you know, fucking sitting on it all day, that is just going to attract the attention of other Cleomancers. They're going to know where it is. So unless you have a really solid and consistent means of defending it, it's you're still probably going to get fucked. That yeah. also reminds me of, um, in the Delta Green lore, there was a thing that Delta Green used to do where they would summon, they would cast the summon deep ones, um, rich oh, spells, yeah. and then just ambush them. Yeah. And it seems to me that if you were like some anti-Cleomancer group, you would just find some Cleomantic site and just lie in wait, um, waiting for one of them to come and try to charge off it and just ambush them, which is, a, it, it's a fun dynamic. I, w- I will also say, my issue with the taboo of a cl- another Cleomancer harvesting your site is, okay, then you're required to have a Cleomancer on your party to fight another Cleomancer. I th- or I, have, I think or an additional Amanza. thing Come should on. be, maybe if your charging site gets destroyed or vandalized, like, something big happens to it that would, like, traumatically affect it, that would be a taboo. I'm just imagining, like, the squad of, like, heavily armed people that keep assaulting Cleomancers at UNESCO World Heritage Sites. <laughs> That's pretty great. Say if you didn't have a Cleomancer on on your team, but you wanted to, like, fuck with a Cleomancer's um, charging site, maybe just go there and do a gutter magic ritual. Yeah, that's also That good. might be enough. Like, that, I like that a lot. You could still draw from the power of gutter magic. Though anyone can do it, it's just Cleomancers are better at finding Cleomantic sites because they can find other Cleomancers. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like, that would be a lot of fun, I think. And, um, it, would, it would fit in everything that's been said about yeah. Cleomancers and would nerf them in a way that didn't actually nerf their powers. You could still have them as powerful as they are. They've just got another restriction on them, which makes it difficult. It is one of those balancing mechanisms that puts a lot of responsibility on the GM to actually enforce. Yes. But it's one of the less heinous examples of that I've seen. The other issue I kind of see with that is it does probably mean the entire campaign will be about Cleomancers. Because that yeah. there will be enough conflict generated by their sheer presence in the group that it will come to dominate the campaign look. But I honestly think that with all the other benefits from it, those are worth it. I think that it would also depend to an extent on... Like, Cleomancers can charge off all sorts of historical sites, but there might be sort of, like, a pecking order of, like, what is the most, like, sought after, the more famous ones. So anything like the Golden Gate Bridge and Statue of Liberty, of course everyone's fighting over that. But if you're playing, like, a minor Cleomancer, you're going to have, like, some, like, historically well-known, but not that... Like, okay, for example, when we did that episode on... Oh, what's it? Where was it? Um... Coatesville, um, yeah. where there was the marker stone of the Mason-Dixon line uh, was there. Um, and I think that would be a climatic site because everyone knows what the Mason-Dixon line is and it's an important part of that. But it would be less fought over because that particular place, and not only they also have like a touristy one and also like the actual one. Like that's an example of like a place that a Cleomancer would like like camp out and take over and wouldn't necessarily always be like batting off people like, trying to um, poach it. Um, but it would be still enough of a concern that they have to stay nearby and have to have maybe spend some charges, like, setting up some, like, uh, traps or at least um, uh, warning mechanisms. There's probably a lot of cool Cleomancers. They just live out in the boonies and more obscure, uh, historically significant sites. Uh, the Cleomancers who live in the cities are all fucking insane. Yes, those guys are assholes. 
All right, yeah. No, but having a spell that gives Cleomancer some sort of uh, Cleomantic spidey sense. Well, Cle- spidey sense for other Cleomancers. I, I don't think they should be able to find just Cleomantic sites. And having their taboo being have someone else charge off your Cleomantic site is very good. And it's thematic again for the history is false, but it's written by the winners. So the winners, whoever gets there first. If you've got, if you're charging off a historically significant site, which is less well known, so it's better defended. You, you like, you have to make sure that Atlas Obscura doesn't go there yeah. because then you'll be in trouble. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> this does remind me. I did try to write up Cleophagy, which is a project best left unspoken about because it was a train wreck. But I could, if I were to ever rewrite, like update Cleomancy for third edition, which I might do out of spite and to make it better balanced. I could take some of the stuff I did for Cleophagy and transfer it to Cleomancy, because I did come up with some fun spells for it. I don't know, so, I like, I didn't mind Cleophagy, I thought it was interesting, but with uh, Cleomancy, I would add that taboo that we've discussed, but I wouldn't change it too much, because it is such a classic. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, more cha- take some of the spells and, like, formulas I did for Cleophagy, because a bunch of those can still work for Cleomancy, because, as Millen said, Cleophagy is just a, it's just Cleomancy, but bit different it was very similar and that was the main issue with it but if it's that similar i could probably take a couple of those formulas and add them to cleomancy all right so what are some other spell schools that we uh want to go off about torm you had you have opinions about vestimancy apparently well my vestimancy opinion like vestimancy itself i'm not going to like dwell too much on the charging or the taboo or the school or the spells or anything like that but what my I had an issue with Vestimancy when I was just reading it, reading up on it for one at one time, and there's this big, long introductory paragraph about how wearing clothes is what separates us from the animals and lets us know who people are and all these sorts of like things that well, it was very flowery and and, and false. And I've seen so many chimps in Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> oh, that's right, but it didn't really uh, tangibly describe what the taboo is. It was talking about like the clothing is a language. Uh, clothing depends who you are, but what's the taboo there? There is a, there's multiple taboos. You mean it could the be the paradox. Yeah, what's? I don't know, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's what I mean. The paradox. What's the paradox there? And this is what I mean when I say a lot of adept schools are designed where they come up with the domain first. And yeah, clothing magic, great basis for an adept school. You just need to come up with a decent fucking paradox for it, and they didn't really succeed there. Yeah. Also, I will say this, the taboo of BC naked, but it also specifies um, stripping them to one garment violates taboo, which implies the limit is two garments, and it says a pair of socks or gloves is a single item of clothing, which means if you're just wearing socks and a pair of gloves, you're technically not naked according to taboo, which I find incredibly stupid. It should be if your torso is exposed, you're counting as naked. Okay, have you ever tried to take a shower wearing socks? It's terrible. Yes, but however, the fact that it technically is clo- um, gloves and socks is technically not naked for your taboo is so fucking stupid, and I cannot no, get past no, that. I agree. I agree. That's that's my next my next best advancer character is just gonna be in gloves and socks all the time. With all the novelty sock shops I've been to, I think that right there is a you could probably have a lot of identities that you gain just by having a very extensive collection of themed socks. Even if that's all you wear. It seems to me that, like, it's talking about clothing as a language, and clothing is used to communicate to the world 
and it seems to me like there's some there's the crux of a paradox in there it's just like you are who you dress as kind of like you are like yeah. like the whole idea of like dress for the job you want kind of thing is an interesting paradox in a way what i'm thinking i'm like looking at the the charging structure in the taboo like it's all about like the taboo is about wearing clothes while the charging structure is about making clothes and it, i don't like it's weird because i'm like it seems like almost two different things in a way. I kind of like the whole thing where you make clothes. I think that's a cool part of the school. And it's again, fun. Like, it's it's think, fun, for sure. I think that's a good paradox. Clothes make the man. Man makes the clothes. Ah, there you that's go. It. There yeah. we go. But I, if I was going to adjust the, the taboo, I would say it's not necessarily about being naked. It's about being... Like, the clothing you wear, sends, it's meant to send a message, meant to make a statement. So you can't you can't just throw on something that doesn't make a statement. You have to always make it doesn't matter what the statement is, you have to make a statement. <laughs> what if another one is you have to wear clothes that you yourself made? There That's you go. another good one. Maybe, no, maybe that doesn't really... liturgy, Where there's two different things. Well no, I think that's good. Because like I do that's a more thematic one, but I like Torm's idea because it more influences and provides a limitation to how you actually play. Because, you know, their character getting nude is not something that most players really think about much when they're playing their character. It doesn't really affect play that much, but having to make a powerful statement with your clothing, so like each time you go out, you have to be thinking like, okay, what sort of person am I? So maybe that's sort of a thing of like, uh, that spell that lets you get identities based on what clothes you're wearing, whenever anyone else is looking at you, you have to be using that spell. Mm, interesting. Interesting, maybe because it, but that it's it's um oh, and now I'm thinking like what you mentioned the alternate taboo which we could even bring in as well as you have to wear clothes that you made yourself but you could make it a little bit easier by having it you have to make clothes you wear you can only wear clothes that you've either made yourself or at least adjusted or at least um done something to I mean the thing for me is if you're charging by making clothes you're gonna have a shit ton of clothes anyway so it's not really much of a limitation. That's true. That's true. But what's... It's like the idea of like... Adept is someone who does something wrong. Um, what is the Vestamancer doing wrong? <laughs> in terms of wearing clothes. All How their is clothes have to be worn inside out. There you oh, go. Yeah. Okay, that's... that's 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 <laughs> Alright, there we go. <laughs> well, I mean, that could also be a fun one of part of the taboo like you need to wear at least one piece of clothing wrong in the wrong place so like wearing socks on your hands or gloves on your feet so if you if you dress that marks you as kind of a weirdo does that mean wearing a hoodie around your waist technically counts no like that i'd say that's like how people normally wear hoodies so around your waist fine but if you're wearing a hoodie as pants the neck hole open up to your crotch yeah no that's that's fine so if you're dressed as a cop you have to wear pink and purple socks that are very obvious. I, I like the idea of uh, you have to wear something in the wrong place. I think that's that could be cool. Well, again, like it instantly marks you as kind of out there. If you're dressed as if you're dressed as a chef, you have to wear like a like a, a, a mask, like a like a gas mask, which makes people worried. Uh, I don't know. There's something to be <laughs> or that, or that take the fun. chef's hat to your butt. I don't know. <laughs> But I, I think for Vestamancy, the limitation invoked by the taboo needs to be 
somehow related to the fact that you are instantly marked as weird. Mm. Well, this is the issue because there are multiple ways we can go with this. And this was the fact that the school doesn't really have like a clear, like, understand. It, it sort of gestures towards a paradox, but doesn't really like nail it down. And because of that, it sort of feels a bit like they've just been like, we need some clothing magic. What's some good clothing magic? I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. Because I, there's nothing wrong with all of these things. But yeah, it just it's sort of it's it's loosely held together. And this is an issue which also affects another school which comes immediately after this, which is uh, something you wanted to talk about, Frank. Viaturgy. Yeah, Viaturgy I also think is an overall really good school. Like car magic makes a ton of sense. It's a yep. they have cool formula spells. Uh, the theming is cool, but the paradox and the taboo aren't... I mean, like, the paradox isn't really there. They're just kind of waffle about the cultural significance of, of cars. Which, and the taboo is, like, you can't use vehicles that are being driven by someone else. Which mm. is a bit more of a limitation than the Vestamancy taboo. Like, you can't take the bus, I guess. You could drive the bus. You can't go on flights. But it's not that big of a deal. You know, if you're a Viator, presumably you have a car... So I guess you can't fly, it means you need to do a road trip where other people... It's a lot harder if you're a, a Viaturge on a small island. <laughs> like, yes, oh, like, I can't go true. anywhere. Yeah, being a, being a Viaturge in New Zealand sucks. <laughs> so yeah, you can't use ferries. I guess that's also a bit of a, div- New Zealand a bit is, difficulty. New Zealand is big enough that you can still, like, there's going to be enough you can do around that. But if you're living on, like, like Stewart Island, which is the small island, oh, of the, yeah. like, it's something that is, like, tiny... Um, well, yeah, there's definitely parts of the world that are less built for cars, that being a Viaturge would be more difficult. But the other thing is, I suspect that Viaturgy is definitely a school that came from the United States sure. because of our weird complex with cars. And yeah. also the vast majority of UA games are set in the United States. Yeah, so. fair enough. Australia has a very, it's like a very similar, like, uh, what's the word for it? A dysfunctional relationship with the car, as in... It's it's it, everything wrong with society can be blamed on the car. Really, why can't I walk anywhere? Ah, because this was designed for cars. Car. <laughs> car. Here in Canada, we have a lot of like straight roads and highways. We don't really have many like narrow streets or curves. So getting from place to place is, uh, it can be relatively simple. It's just make sure you don't take a wrong turn and then realize, oh wait. It's been an hour, and we've been on the wrong road for God knows how long. Ah, fuck. Canadian Viaturgy would be interesting about... Because you could go some long fucking distances and get a lot of charges in Canada. It's a lot of open road. So here's my proposal for fixing Viaturgy. One, the taboo is that uh, cars represent freedom but are also a prison. That's the paradox, yes. I agree with that. No, that's the... Yeah, that's... Excuse me, paradox, yeah. That's the paradox. Cars are freedom... But also a prison. Yes. Because, like, sure, that means you can go to the places, but also means your infrastructure is very limited because it's all designed with fucking cars in mind. It means that you're trapped for hours on end in your fucking commute. And as a result, the taboo is you cannot leave your car. Very simple. You can definitely live like that. Just sleep in your car all the time. You know, you'll need some help from buddies occasionally if you need to... Get your gas filled up if you're living somewhere that doesn't have a gas station attendance. My problem with this, it was just encourage... It was just every fire turge would have a caravan. 
And that's a bit much. Yeah, there's that's awesome. Home. What the fuck are you talking about? That's great. Yeah, just a Viaturge in a mobile home. That, that is a fair point, though. I do think Viaturges should need, like, a car car. Uh, mobile homes are not allowed. What about a motorbike? Could a Viaturge use a motorbike? And how does that work? I'd say sure. If you're gonna, like, that'd be fucking hard. You'd have to sleep on your mo your motorcycle all the time, but... Well, I, I mean, also, a motorbike doesn't necessarily have that sort of prison aspect to it quite as much. That I mean, true. if only because, you know, when you're stuck in a traffic jam in a motorbike, you just go between the lanes. However, you also risk getting hit by the cars if you do that. Yeah. Well, yes, it's more risky, but... Bike magic would probably be its own school, another thing yeah. about I, I think Viaturge needs to be fundamentally coached in the car. Yeah, it, it, it's different enough. Um, but yeah, the big thing is having that taboo be you cannot leave your car, like, that is... Some, you could definitely play a character like that. It would provide some very concrete limitations to how you play that character, which I think is a, the ideal sort of adept taboo. I'm thinking of ways that you can, like, like I'm now I'm thinking of formula spells to get around some of the problems. Like, I'm thinking, like, okay, if you do the thing where you just gargle and, like, spray on some Axe body spray in your car and cast a spell, it counts as, like, a full proper shower so you don't stink all the time. That's good. And you have a and you have a sig spell. Maybe this is like a, at least a couple of sigs for this one. Where any any, any shop has a all shops have drive-throughs now. You just give it a drive-through. Okay, I'm going to this bar. It's a drive-through. I'm going to the Apple Store. It has a drive-through. I kind of like that. Like that would have to be a pretty powerful sig, but yeah, definitely doable. I just I just thought of a stupid sig formula. It's just orc logic from 40k, where so long as no one acknowledges how long it's been since you gassed up. Until someone mentions, hey, do we need fuel? The spell lasts and you just keep driving. So hypothetically... That could be good. The gauge is always on E. It's always on empty. Which just encourages someone to say, hey, you need to fuel love. Shut the fuck up! No! And it immediately goes... Just call it running on empty. That was exactly what I was going to suggest. Hell yeah. Alright, yeah, no, like, that's... That's a much better limitation for Viaturges, I think. Yeah, I agree. My issue with that is, in-game, how do you deal with this? Like, one of the PCs is always going to be in their car, and that's immediately, that's going to cause problems. Like, oh, we have to ex we have to go down these stairs. Alright, see ya. Look, it just means they're kind of stuck outside all the time, unless they want to try to off-road it. Like, yeah, it, it provides some concrete limitations, uh, and it'd be something I'd be interested in playtesting, but I... I do think with kind of how abstracted a lot of moment-to-moment -moment stuff in the average UA game is, um, and how much time is just generally spent out and about, it wouldn't be too crippling, I think. Uh, we'll, I think it has to be play-tested. I think it might be more crippling than you think. But I think you could go around it with, like, a spell where it's like... And this could go, this could be a spell that also gets around the old taboo of, like, no no ferry boat rides or anything. It's just... You could just cast a spell and you can drive anywhere. You could drive you could drive into the mall, no one says anything, and you don't hit anything. You could drive under the ocean. <laughs> it needs to be a case of as long as your car fits, you're fine. I don't know about that. It should, it should, it should just, it should just fit. Of course, it fits. Now, I, I think the whole prison aspect means that you need to have some sort of spatial limitation there. That's important. But Maybe. I do like the idea of like you spend a sig and nobody gives a shit that you're driving around the mall. Yep. As long yep. as you can fit your fucking car through the doors, which you probably can. Or how about this? There's a spell where because, like, for example, if someone's in a place and they're not going to go out to your car. So you just, like, lay on the horn for a while, and you can get any GMC to come out to your car. It just summon NPC to the car. 
with the horn. That's better than a drive-through, I think. The, I think the ability that you get is less like you make a drive-through appear. More that you can get anyone at any store to walk out to your car, like you're at a fucking uh, drive-in, like a fucking Sonic. Wait, or whatever, isn't, right? there, isn't it like Sonic where the people are like on rollerblades yeah. and drink? Yeah, or exactly. You just call it exactly. Sonic Speed Service. Maybe they should be on rollerblades. Like just the fucking ga- uh, gas station <laughs> yeah. the clerk you're at comes out with rollerblades and hands you your Doritos. You're at a, you're you're buying a gun, and the guy in the gun store just comes out with rollerblades. <laughs> Five minutes later, wait, what the fuck? Why am I wearing these? <laughs> All right, that's good. So, what others do we want to cover? Uh, Skell, you had a few more you want to talk about? Yes, I had Estrinaturgy, which was one that me and Thompson both had an experience with uh, in a recent campaign, which was, well, also Melon was involved in it, because we discovered Estrinaturgies can get way too many fucking uh, charges all at once. If left uninterrupted, they could just stack so many charges at an absurd rate. I don't think it's a problem because they can't cast them. They're just fucking stockpiling all these charges that they can't actually cast without risk. Yes, but the second they do get an opportunity to use them, they're never gonna run out. They're gonna have so many. I'll be, I guess it is balanced due to, like, phenomena, but here's the question. How many Game Masters remember to use phenomena against adept hoarding charges? Or grounding lovers, or literally any system to prevent adepts from hoarding charges. How many game masters will remember to do that, especially new ones? It's it's another one of those cases where the balancing mechanism is kind of uh, placed in the GM's responsibility in a way that I think Garrett coined the term uh, "ivory tower adepts," where if they're left alone, they just keep stockpiling charges continually until someone runs into them. In which case, they drop everything on that person, and they're kind of fucked. But I think you have mentioned that they are balanced by the Cancer Curse, which is if you roll a fumble when casting a spell of any kind, you get Cancer, which is a permanent debuff on your character that you cannot get rid of. The thing is, you can probably re-roll that. That's the, big, is, that's the it's, other it's issue. It's really hard to get a fumble. Um, I was just thinking, like, that it is annoying that it's on the GM to deal with that, and there should be better rules for... Like, if you're hoarding charges, this is what happens. Because it is it is suggested and at least implied at various points that if you hoard charges, then bad things are going to happen. Um, you're definitely going to attract some astral parasites and whatnot. And, like, things have been invented to, like, sort of deal with that. But I think it should be more front and center. Like, if you've got this many charges... If you're, if you're sitting on a magic charge and it's just slowly fermenting in your soul, it's... It, there definitely should be, like, some sort of table that GMs can roll or something like that. Sure. Alright, I can do that. I mean, as far as methods for balancing extra energy, admittedly, I, it's been a while since I've read the school, but what immediately comes to mind is just, okay, instead of rolling when you cast, you roll when you generate a charge. That's actually a good idea. You front you front load it, it's basically the same thing, except now you aren't cooling all these extras. It's, I like the, the thing about smoking is, you know, it's pretty easy to just smoke whenever it's convenient. Right? Yeah. Like, it, it's not hard to get charges related to smoking. And the SIG... For, to get a Urshinatur SIG, it's, you need to smoke an entire pack or something, right? Yeah. Maybe it's you roll when you finish a pack to see if you get cancer. My idea for Urshinaturgy is to, like, tap into the fact that um, smoking is both cool and very, very uncool. And, like, especially more... It's more and more... There's less and less places where people are allowed to smoke. Um, I was thinking, What's the paradox for Shinturgy? Uh, as r- rules is written, I can't remember. Maybe it's, it's it's maybe it's as I said. It's it's cool and also not cool. 
I can't remember and I'm not looking it up. But my idea was that you could charge up by smoking in places where you're not supposed to smoke, like, like a hospital yes. or a school. I agree. Um, yeah. That adds... Yeah, I think that gives a little bit of an edge and it does tie into the... And, and then it would be le- you'd be less likely to, like, be in that situation where you've got, like, far too many charges and it becomes difficult for the GM because there's only so many places you can go and do that. So getting a minor would be smoking somewhere it's frowned upon and then getting a cig would be smoking somewhere it's specifically not allowed. Yeah, uh, it's a risk where it's risky, where it's, like, um, the risk of a fine or risk of, like, being yelled at or punched in the face or whatever. And how do, you, how do those guys get majors? Uh, you have to get cancer. Oh. You yeah. trip so hard on nicotine, you risk death. Oh, yeah, you just fucking drink straight nicotine oil. I meant for that. That was insane. I mean, yeah. hey, it's better than the fucking Fulminaturge major, which I really like that school, except the major feels really weird. Yeah, the major for Fulminaturge is just... Dear Lord, that will take forever to try to get. It just feels very unrelated to the rest of the school. Yeah. Torm, you got any other, you got any further comments? Because you're the one that's actually having to run a fucking game with one of these guys in it. I'm thinking that the biggest problem with the Strinitrogy there was the fact that because it was like a sort of a passive thing, like a smoker's going to smoke, and then smokers smoke, like that's the problem. A Strinitrogy, it's like schools are meant to be, you're doing something wrong, but a aren't doing things wrong. They're just smoking, yeah. which is what smokers do. Yeah, like, unless you consider smoking intrinsically wrong. But even then, even then, it's like, they're not smoking in a different way to a non-adept smoker is smoking, so... To charge as an instrument of charge, you have to smoke with the filter out. I've seen people do that. I have I, I, <laughs> like, But I, still I, smoking I still, wrong. I remember me. Like, I remember giving this cigarette to this British guy, and he just bit off the filter, and I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with No, this? I mean you light the filter, and then smoke oh. it that way. Oh, I've done that. Um, just, or you just, you know, you cut the cigarette open, but you, no, you no, put the tobacco in your mouth, and you light it in fire. You can just mouth. get unfiltered cigarettes. No, you need to have a filtered cigarette that you put the tobacco end in your mouth, and then you light it from the filter at the filter den. And then you smoke that whole thing intentionally. I think I think I did that on ecstasy once. Actually twice. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before, but never on purpose. Never on purpose. I, I, no, I remember I was like, where's my filter? And then people laughed at me. They laughed at me. All right. Is that like, I have to go soon. So. All right. Do you guys want to talk about dipsomancy real quick before we go then? All right. Yes, and I, I will also just throw out a quick jab at Pornomancy. Pornomancy is broken because aromantic asexual Pornomancers break the game. Hashtag game design. Uh, people fuck without loving other people all the fucking yes. time. It's not a limitation. Back in, like, the 80s or 90s, when UA was initially made, then sure. But nowadays, people are a lot more open to that concept. So, yeah. I'd say really it should be typical. you can't have sex for pleasure, but... yes. But even then... Like, that's... Like, the, it's not much of a play limitation. Yeah, because, again, if you're asexual, you're never having sex or pleasure. Well, I say that. I'm just being a shitter, but... I mean, you still yeah. need to fuck if you're a pornomancer, fundamentally. But yeah. Yeah, it's... it's pornomancy needs some sort of better, actually, play-relevant limitation for its taboo. But yeah. So, what I want to talk about was Dipsomancy, because that's another yes. iconic one, and that's one that's kind of... Uh, very, I'd say pretty well known in the community as pretty unbalanced. Um, so I want to get into why it's unbalanced, but I also want to use that as a uh, excuse to talk about some ways to fix it. 
So the reason Dips and Mancy was unbalanced in second edition is kind of fundly, fundamentally anchored in how the drinking and drunk mechanics for uh, second edition work, which were that for every drink you have after the first, you get a minus five penalty to just all your rolls in general. That penalty drops by five for every hour you go without a drink. At 50, you start having to make body rolls, and on a failure, you pass out. Uh, body isn't really a thing in third edition, but I'm sure you can think of something. Fitness. Uh, at 60, you get blackout and stop having, being able to remember your actions. I could see that being interpreted as the GM gets control of your character from then on. Yes. Uh, but that's not explicitly in the rules. And then at 100, you straight up pass out on that and start taking damage. So, Dipsomancy's kind of weird because sort of the domain of the school isn't even drinking. It's cheating. School is supposed to represent cheating the system somehow. And I think where this fundamentally comes from is that whoever wrote Dipsomancy came up with Dirk Allen first and then kind of figured out the school backwards from there. Yeah, it does kind of seem like that, now that you mention it. Though I think sort of the idea that they're going for a Dipsomancy is that charges are supposed to be cheap, but it's easy come, easy go. So, like, to get a minor, you suffer enough of a drink to suffer an impairment penalty, which, sure, but, like, that's not hard. So you can just keep drinking. Sig charge, you drink from a historically significant or potent vessel. I get that, but that's also a really weird way to have sig charges. Like, yes, Dirk Allen needs to be drinking from his Richard Nixon coffee mug. It's important. Of course. Of course. But then the issue is you basically, so long as you have that cup, and it's not one that's easily breakable, is the other thing. Because if you find a champagne flute that's historically valuable, you're going to be careful with that. But if your Dirk Allen has, say, a coffee mug, which is a lot less breakable... Coffee mugs are still pretty fucking breakable. They I'm, are, I'm but not as much as a champagne flute or a shot glass. Or and and if you get a stein, you're, you're fucking golden. Yeah, because then you just upgrade your minor charges to six, and then just break your six down into minors if you need them. I mean, the thing for me, my issue with that is another case of putting a lot of responsibility on the GM. Because it's like, okay, are Dipsomancers assumed to start with a historically significant vessel? How do you get it if you don't have one? Mm. And then once you do have, like, it's this really weird balancing structure of, like, you're either underpowered or overpowered. Yeah. So honestly, I think if someone were to port that to third edition, as iconic as the coffee mug is, it would need to be rebalanced in such a way that, I don't know, maybe, like, if you have a historically significant vessel, instead of it being how you get sig charges, you just get double the charges. The double the charges is all right. Maybe you can charge from your one significant, historically significant vessel once a day. So you have to have more than one. You have to drink out of multiple vessels, which could be which adds a different dynamic where you have diplomats like fighting over various historical. But it, it does tie into too much with That's like fun. the romantic era. But it, I, mean, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that because artifacts feel different enough from like sites. Honestly, I just like to give them their own significant charging method. But I honestly couldn't. I don't have one in mind. And then the taboo is sober up. Which is super fucking easy. You can literally fucking nickel and dime exactly how drunk you are with those drunkenness mechanics yeah. on an hour-by-hour hour level. It's super fucking easy to min-max, which should not be how drunkenness works. I'm pretty sure... I, I, I'll have to pull it up, but in Sorcel, I had a, a, a mechanic for charging where it... Um, actually, let me just check if I... Unless I'm talking out of my, 
Talking short shit. Oh, and then on top of that, like, this whole school being based in fundamentally that you get, like, all these penalties for being drunk all the time. One of their minor charge spells, which costs one minor charge, is you perform your next non-magic action without drinking penalties. So that means the penalties only apply for dipsomancy charging, which just sounds frustrating. Yeah. Frustrating for the dipsomancy shit and then a total non-issue for everything else. Or the other effect is you can try to cast that spell after failing a drinking-related body roll. As in, to pass out, as in, the only thing that could possibly lead you to sobering up accidentally. Yeah. How about how about this? You can get six from drinking a type of alcohol you haven't drunk before. And you can get another sig if you drink that same type of alcohol for the first time in your in your historically significant mug. So you can drink, and it could be different beers. No, it's just like playing with the idea of like someone who doesn't just. Everyone's like, you're gonna get drunker. You're gonna get have a worse hangover if you mix your drinks. So don't mix your drinks. But dipsomancers have to mix their drinks so they can't charge for shit. Here's an idea: to get a sig charge, you need to drink pure alcohol. Just straight yeah. up like fucking absinthe. Two hundred per no. Absinthe has it. I'm talking I'm talking about rubbing alcohol. Two hundred per oh. 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 That seems almost too much. Like how much are you meant to drink? Um a shot. A shot seems fine. Cracking open a nice old thing of ice propyl alcohol. But I mean dipsomancy in like it's supposed to be drinking magic, but it's also not in the fucking magic domain. Which is cheating, which cheating is almost too broad, so maybe it should just be limited to Drinking? Because it is in the fucking name. Dipso, Dipso does not relate to cheating, it relates to drinking. So here's some ideas I have. I don't think that all of these should be used, but I think grabbing a couple of these would be a good way to balance them. One, the drinking penalty is 1d10 instead of consistent 5. Yeah, because I'd say the GM should keep track of it, but then that runs into the issue of health, where it's a hassle for the Game Master. Yeah, it's it's a that, that's my issue. It's a bit of a hassle for the Game Master, but... If it's a secret thing that the GM keeps track of, then yeah, it's harder for the player to min-max this shit and be exactly as drunk as they want. I personally don't have an issue with it, because I personally, as a Game Master, will 100% track those things, because I am OCD as fuck and will do that happily. Another thing is you, how about you pass out at wound threshold instead of 100? Ooh, that sounds awesome. I like that. And then you risk unconsciousness at half wound threshold. Third edition doesn't have body rules, so what the fuck would you roll? Would it just be another... Oh, okay. No, that works. That works. Fitness. Yeah, it's just... Oh, you, you, you roll your wound threshold. Okay. That's yeah. actually a cool idea. I like that, because then if you have an identity that skills your wound threshold up, you there want you to have. invest in that. You get your epiduramancer buddy to buff you up a little bit. <laughs> so I can drink more. Give me a second liver. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I no. It. I just realized something. That's really good. Do you ever consider the fact that maybe there's a dipsomancer epiduramancer attempted hybrid like all the other adepts who have attempted to double dip into schools and and now there's just some fucking monstrosity with alcohol spitting glands and shit that's just spraying fire everywhere there should definitely be more of those um what's his name like bolus who's just become oh, yeah, like a unnatural entity because like there's so many like you just take two schools and think about like if i combined them and it made a madman what would you get guy that just has given himself six livers yep his entire all his skin is just liver flesh his nickname is six pack (laughs) oh my god that's really good all right um so other ideas is that upon passing out you come to in 2d10 hours so I like there's that. a there's a good chance that you just might lose them. 
<laughs> and I think you'd want to pair that with just getting rid of Hold My Liquor entirely, because at the very least, make it like a fucking... Have it cost more than one fucking minor charge. Because that turns into a non-issue. Every turns- 10% is a minor charge. So, at like, if you have a... Even if you have a really stupid high wound threshold, like, say you have 100 and you're at 50% penalty, that's five minor charges to negate that 50%. I think it kind of runs counter to the spirit of the school, but that, if you wanted to keep it, I could see that being how it's done. Because then you're wasting your precious few charges you're getting while you're conscious. Well, and fundamentally, I think the big issue is that you can get a bunch of charges easily, but the taboo is pretty hard to get. It's supposed to be easy come, easy go. It's yeah. Easy come, difficult to let go. So, far as taboo-related shit that's less indirect than the previous suggestions, you taboo if you ever get less drunk instead of completely sober. So it's a sort uh, of a double-down risk-reward thing that I think kind of works pretty like. well the cheating thing. I do like that. Y- you crash and burn, you live, as, you live as you drank. And that would pair really well with the drinking penalty being 1d10 mm. because it turns into the sort of gambling thing that you're doing. I am the entropomancer of liquor. Witness <laughs> me. Oh god. And then, here's a simple one. You taboo if your significant vessel ever spills. It must always be fill, full of drink. At least a little bit. Oh, that that would be an interesting one. Taboo from Potty Fowls. Yeah. Here's the issue. What if, you're, what if your historical artifact is a fucking travel mug? Oh, good on you. You really lucked out there, didn't you, asshole? <laughs> now that, that's an artifact worth killing over. Yep. Just a bunch of diptomantis fighting over a fucking travel mug. Or a lidded stein. What's a historically significant travel mug? Uh, sir, the the mug that Sir Edmund Hillary uses who's climbing Everest. Now, fucking no. Thank you. That would be a fun one. Though I, I I'm not sure if he was dr- drinking alcohol in that one. Though he probably was. That's a. This strikes me as a good way to keep warm up a uh, up on the mountains. Here's my question: Can a dipsomancer make their own? Like, say, all right, I'm gonna make my drinking vessel significant by murdering the president with it. I'm gonna bludgeon him to death with my travel mug. I'd say sure. I'd say that's a great objective. I want to kill the president with a mug so it becomes historically significant. Oh, All right, yeah, I'd allow that. Instead of uh, Sir Edmund Hillary's um, travel mug, I would just make it like uh, Tenzing Norgay's. Uh, like, I, I don't know if they have this in Tibet, but I'm thinking like the Mongol style, like horn, like the leather horn with a cap on it. Oh, oh, oh yeah, God. that's good. Or like a fucking water skin, just something like that. I, mean, I said Tibet, I should have said India. I mean, I think they probably have drinking horns, too. That's probably. A lot of cultures have drinking horns. It's It fits nicely in a holster, and it's fairly easy to hollow out. All right. Yeah, I think we went over some pretty good suggestions for um, making your own schools, fixing some ones that already exist, some good general principles for uh, what a good and- school is. Yes. Yeah, I think we've we've done well. Um, I do have to run, which is a pity because I I was really looking forward to Skelly going off on Cleomancy, but we didn't get a chance to go to that. What are you talking about? I was about? looking forward to that too. It was a shame. Oh, god damn it! Okay, which one do you piss off the sleepers? Nope, nope. I, I need to leave. Fuck. Where, where's my fucking cell phone? Which one was pissed off? The, which occasion are you referring to? You're gonna need to be a lot more specific than that. Uh, uh, oh fuck. Uh, is that a red dot on your head? Who is who is who is this guy anyway? How the fuck did you get in our studio?
approach the Omega Point. It will be a near infinite moment of perfect bliss, harmony, and satisfaction. Once the Omega Point is attained, and all that exists is the perfect domain of the source, it will once again shatter and fracture. And this will be the beginning of a new Big Bang and a new space time.